It's a multi-level lasagna we work in. <laughs> and to get to the top of the bubbling cheese, you need to work your way through all the layers. That's Chris Vaughn of Flying Fish. A few weeks ago, I sat down with him and Barry Holston and Leah Ann Wood, part of the brewing team at Flying Fish, in their tap room for this episode of Over Beers. I'm Freddie Clark. In 1995, Flying Fish was started by Gene Muller as the world's first virtual brewery. Shortly after that, it became a real brewery, now located in Somerdale, New Jersey, and the largest craft brewery in the state. Talking with the brewers was a lot of fun and gave a great insight into how the largest brewery is working to create and innovate. At one point, we talked about their sour program, which is a good place to start this episode. When one usually thinks of fermented beverages with acidity, wine is usually the one you think of. A lot of the time, sour can be a bad thing when talking about beer. However, there are a good number of older styles and a great number of modern variants termed sour beer, and a lot of great things are happening with them. Before modern sanitation, sour beers were very common, but not always desired. To avoid it, brewers wouldn't brew in warmer weather, when bacteria and wild yeasts that cause acidity were more likely to occur. But the beer could very easily still get that vinegary, tangy taste within days. When it was intentional, classic-style sour beers were created like German Berliner Weiss, Flanders Red, and Belgian Lambic beers. These were usually produced in wooden barrels, attempting to control acidity levels and produce agreeable flavors. Wild yeasts were often used in oak barrels to produce some acidic character and a range of aromas. Today's brewers can take inspiration from the classic sour beers, but have developed their own variations to create a whole new world of beer. Some are creating spontaneously fermented beers. Others are mixing different yeasts from multiple brews or harvesting wild yeasts from non-traditional sources and looking to harness new flavors from them with characteristics called earthy, mushroomy, musty, or just funkiness. Today, these brewers have been successful in creating entire new categories of beer called sour beer or wild beer. Which brings us back to the conversation with Flying Fish. You're going to hear what they're doing with sour beers, among other things, and how those sour beers are being received in their taproom during our conversation over beers. My name is Barry Holston. I'm the brewery manager at Flying Fish. My name is Chris Vaughn. I'm the lead brewer at Flying Fish. My name is Leanne Wood. I'm a brewer at Flying Fish. All right. So we're going to start with the ladies. So Leanne, how did you get into beer? What got you here? Studying, I studied food science when I was an undergrad at University of Delaware, and when I graduated, I, back in 95, there were really no craft breweries open yet. Um, so I kind of took a different path for a while, worked for a food service company, and then really changed my path, worked for IBM for 15 years, and one day decided that I wanted to get back into the industry that I always wanted to be in when I was in college. Okay. And um, yeah, I took a chance when I to school, and quit my job at IBM, and it's What were you doing at IBM? A project manager. Project manager. Because I just find it very interesting, the paths that everybody takes. Yeah. You know, you, you find some people who knew what they wanted to do and did it forever, and then you find people take either come back to something right. or you know find it new later on right, so right. it's just it's just very interesting to hear you know the backstory yes. for people um, so it was your passion was, were you big into beer when you were younger yes yeah, were you home brewing or 
Uh, when I graduated college, I got into the craft beer scene. You know, loved tasting new beers, finding new beers, mm-hmm. and um, started homebrewing probably years have gone by. Uh, six, seven years ago. Okay. Okay. Um, no. 95-ish craft beer was that first wave kind of um, not a lot of out, not a lot of stuff to taste not a lot of stuff to try compared to today right right, right. Yeah, yeah that's true um, it was was I there was just one exploring beers okay. at the time okay yeah. was yeah. there one that, at the time that you just that you loved I'm ashamed to say it I'm ashamed to say it um no judging. I know. This is the no judgment zone. I was starting to go with the, you know, like the green bottle beers. You know, okay. for some reason I like that skunky flavor. Okay. And then kind of moved on to um, Wits from there. Like, you know, everybody's gateway. Mm-hmm. A little dabbled a little bit into the Belgians and moved on to the Belgians. Great. Okay. Now, Chris, what about you? So, um, I got into brewing... As a Christmas gift, in the Christmas of 99, I was given a homebrew gift from my my wife, my girlfriend at the time, and um, I had a previous career, went to school for horticulture, went to the University of Delaware, um, as a horticulture degree, had a landscape business, completely different than brewing, Um, Mm -hmm. and then I had gotten a gift from my wife in Christmas of 99, and I brewed my first homebrew batch in 2000, it was terrible. For the first three or four years, it was terrible. I was trying to find help. The internet is not what it was then as it is now. So it was more than calling in like 800 numbers as finding a homebrew shop in like Oklahoma that could answer my question. But basically, I started as a homebrewer. Okay. And then um, out of brewing beer, I decided that that was the path I needed to go into. So the horticulture, the, the landscaping business just wasn't cutting it. And it wasn't. It wasn't cutting in. It was um, personal. Correct. I yeah. took it as like the old additive as uh, from a guidance counselor. Find something you love to do and find a way to get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. Which that's what I thought I was doing with landscaping. But then when I started brewing beer at home and started making good beer and relative beer, and I started entering, be- all my friends loved it at home. They would come home and drink all my beer, and I'm like, well, they're just okay. I'm only making five gallon batches. So I entered a couple competitions mm-hmm. where I would take like first place, second place, all within top five and I'm like well maybe I'm got something here mm-hmm. so it was like taking the old guidance counselor additive is uh, find something you love and find a way to get paid to do it I translated that from landscaping into brewing which I have more of a passion for than I did for the laborious work of, of out, outside right. under the sun landscaping right okay you, so you say your friends were drinking all their all your free beer. That's that's amazing. Yes, <laughs> yes I, I, they I were. I can't believe that. <laughs> so you're making beer. You're, you're you're winning some competitions. So then, what's the path? I mean, do you, do you walk into Flying Fish and they they see your talent and 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 day one? Well, or? no. So personally, what happened was um, I. After all that laborious work landscaping, um, I had had some herniated disc in my neck, and I went to a doctor, and he said, you're you're killing yourself, and I ignored that. I went a couple more years killing myself, and I realized, actually, I should have listened to that doctor, so that's when I took the guidance counselor additive, as long as with... A passion, my, my passion for like horticulture and trees and plants, and I moved it to landscaping. So I went to the American Brewers Guild, um, got like I, I guess a, a 
I don't know what you call it. Brewing degree. Associate's degree Mm -hmm. in in brewing. And then um, while I was doing my own business and I applied for uh, a job at Iron Hill, which is a restaurant, brewery, multi-location place and I uh, applied there I got the job I worked there for a year and a half and then I slowly started phasing off my business and then um, completely phased it out and I I took the job at Flying Fish and I've been at Flying Fish for five years and I haven't looked back I'm only looking forward and I think this is a Again, another job, I, I have a passion for it. I'm working with my hands, I'm creating things, I'm designing things, and I get a feedback from a customer, which is something that, that I think sitting in a, in a cubicle it's something I could never do. So I'm right. happy that I'm doing something with my hands. Right. And you're still doing stuff with plants. Correct. And, and I, yes. Right. Except now instead of pruning right. them and cutting them and trimming and them, and you're brewing them. the Latin then. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Great. And Barry, how about you? What's your What's your uh, beer history? I started brewing. One of my buddies got a beer bucket or whatever it was back in like 91. Okay. And uh, he failed miserably at it. And... You know, I read the little pamphlet. There was only like one paragraph of what to do. And you're like, what is this flaky stuff? Is it like oregano? What is this? Does it go into the beer? He didn't sanitize anything. I'm like reading. I'm like, well, you should be able to cleaning this, put this in. I was uh, I was going to college for, I was a biochem major at that time. So I'm going, well, this isn't, you're not following any lab procedures. You're not, you know, he failed and it tasted horrible. And he's like, well, if you think you could do better here, have it. So I took it home and I didn't have enough, um, uh, components to fill like he used more ingredients than he should have and I started looking for homebrew shops and I found a homebrew shop and I had a lot of questions bought ingredients went home made a beer it was semi quaffable I did it again I asked more questions it became better I started joining homebrew clubs and brewed for a homebrew club out in, uh, in Princeton and got a job at Princeton homebrew mm-hmm. and worked there for about two years and uh, really brewed every ingredient, tried everything I could, saw what beers were um, working, giving it to strangers, not telling it was my beer. I wanted real objective advice from people. And then I realized I was running out of advice. People were just going off of, they really didn't know much more than I did. And I wanted to challenge myself. And at the same time, a brewery was opening up down the street and I became an apprentice brewer there. So uh, Triumph opened up in 95. I started working as an apprentice brewer there worked for two years and decided this was what I wanted to do with my life and I went out to California got my brewing degree came back worked in South Carolina I worked in New York Atlanta I worked back in California and back in New Jersey and worked in a couple production breweries and brew pubs and ended up at Flying Fish okay you said you've been here about five years now yes right okay so being in one of the biggest breweries in especially in New Jersey one of the largest the largest craft brewery in New Jersey and having bounced around like you did yeah every brewery has its own personality its own personality right? yeah so what would you say is the, the personality of, of Flying Fish well it's exploration right now okay you know you, you're, you're talking to three individuals that are in the driver's seat of the beers and they're all wanting something unique and experience something unique and I think that's what really is cool about Flying Fish we're 20 years old but we're looking forward we're not looking back to reinvent what we did mm-hmm. we're, we're inventing what we're going to do cool. which is really cool we got a bunch of brands we're getting a canning line we're changing the identity of what Flying Fish means now 
that's a big task given that a, the brewery is 20 years old. Yes. That it's a well-established name. It's the largest craft brewery in New Jersey. Is there? Is there? Not, I'm not saying maybe even internally, but is there pushback? Of course, from you're, cha- that, you're, you're even changing from, even from the ex- externally, even from customers. You know, you're, you're changing their their. It's their beer. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and everybody has their person personal, you know, connection. Rogue was my first craft beer that I really attached myself to. And when something changes, you're like, you're, you take it personally. Mm-hmm. It's a food product. You're putting it in you and you're going to be like, well, this is not my memory of what I had before. Shame on you. You changed that. Right. But, at the, but at the same time, we need to, we need to expand ourselves. If you're, right. not, if you're not learning and you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So in doing that, are you holding on to a few of maybe the flagships as you're, as you're going forward? Well, I think holding on to the flagships, but you know, making letting them grow into a new market. Okay. You know, they don't. You know, some some of the identities that you may see about those products will change mm-hmm. okay. in, a, in a positive way to move it forward. Okay. Uh, brush them off. You know, a twenty-year-old product needs some a little bit. You know, a new set of paint, new, new right, a right. little bit of chrome, a right. little bit of shine, and that's what we're going to do for the. Nice. You know, within the next two years, you should see a whole uh, product reinvention. Okay, so I guess now. Being the big boy on the block, how is the pressure from, we're in a period now in craft beer where it's hyper-local, mm-hmm. really small. I mean, New Jersey is over something, right? How is that pressure affecting you guys? Well, we can't, everything has to be the A game. The A game, okay. Yeah, it has to be better. You know, if we come out with an A product, people are going to view us as differently. Mm-hmm. We're going to be judged differently, and that's just the that's just the reality of the situation. So we just have to put something out, really, really our best game, and then move on to the next project mm-hmm. and bring on our A game. Okay. Uh, you know, we can't. You can't dwell on uh, competition. Competition only makes you better. Right. Right. At the end of the day, and okay. if you forget about that, that, that you'll be lesser of a brewery. Right. Okay. Uh, Ever since I started brewing, it was about the conversation of flavor, about the conversation of what's going on, what's engaging, what's going to be good on the other side of the bar, and we have to we have to bring on the A game. Okay, so the three of you are back there. And well, these guys more. I'm more of a speculative brewer. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, so you're you're in the back brewing. What is when you look at the, I'm guessing you have a pilot system to kick around to play with. We do. What is what is the thinking behind a new beer? Well, it, uh, I guess we would say relevant to season, maybe an upcoming holiday, or just something that someone's had in their mind and they really want to just put it out there. Mm-hmm. A thought that they want to have a flavor to. Okay. It has to be an extension of creativity. Okay. You know, if it's over-formulated, it's got to be naturally, organically brought out. So take me through the process. So let's say, Chris, you, you've, you come up with something. And if you have a, a one, you know, you want to talk about, but pick one. Yeah, we've got, we've got so a flight in front of us. So if I have us. a new idea that I want to bring to fruition, I guess, I would, uh, I would, I would write a recipe and then I would uh, present it to, I would, I would first go to Leanne or the other brewer. Um, another brewer and I would say let's talk about this what do you think about this what do you think about the relevancy and like it's great or no and then honestly 
Barry, as the brewery manager, we would take it up to Barry and say, this is what we're thinking, this is what we want to do for a small series for this holiday or just for random, no reason at all, want to do this beer. And then Barry largely is, okay, go with it. And um, he maybe tweak a few things in it to dial in and then we would just go ahead and brew that beer and with having a tasting room at our brewery which really helps to get that idea out and then we get back a uh, I guess an idea of what the perception of that beer is. Okay. So, so this, this is the this is the proving ground. Yeah. This is R and D. Yeah. This is our laboratory. laboratory. So, there's your there's your crack team of uh, of, uh, of of staff of, of taste testers. Yeah, they right. work real cheap. <laughs> right. Right. In fact, they pay you to do it. They, they pay us. <laughs> they pay us to develop the next beer they're going to drink. Which ones in the front in front of us right now are, you know, an example of that? So the first beer we have is the lager. Um, this is a beer that's going to be. We brewed once before, and it done very well in different testing markets. And this is a beer that we're going to actually bring uh, as a seasonal beer. It's going to be our summer beer. It's going to be in cans. Okay. We have a new canning line coming in, and I think that this beer is going to be our summer takeover. Okay. And right now, it's the name is just just a just lager. lager. Right now, okay. it's a lager. Yeah, there's, okay. there's still, you know, the mucky mucks are thrown around. We have to go through the government okay. and okay. get approval so, and stuff. So but you guys aren't in the name We've department. nailed the recipe down. The we, department. We, can give our, we can give our feedback, but, you know, it's always funny when you work with more than five people, what's right. going to happen right, at the right. end of the day. So, <laughs> so there's a marketing team upstairs that is yeah, kicking it around. Okay. Right. So this is a very good lager. I mean, lager... To its meaning, crisp, clean, mm-hmm. um, drinkable, quaffable. Um, this is going to be a great summer beer, and it's going to come out in cans. Yeah, okay. the, the the idea behind it is more of like a pre-prohibition lager, no adjuncts, mm-hmm. full flavor, light, crisp, and a couple, you know, beers that you can have a couple of and not, you know, right, and you, still and still and still enjoy, and you still know? throw the bowl around, and dad, right. you know, comes <laughs> home like a normal human being. Right, exactly. It's hard. Craft breweries for the longest time. I think rode that IPA wave, and the IPA wave is always going to exist. It's always going to take you to shore, but the IPA wave also has many, like right now we're the New England style, and that's something that three years ago no one saw coming. Like everyone wanted their beer completely like crystal, crystal clear. Now they they want they they want to see through it, mm-hmm. and they want to smell it from the bar across the bar. So. With lager, I think that we're going to just stick to the traditional style, crisp, crisp, clean, clear, and easy drinking, an all-day beer, kind yeah, of, an all-day beer. Right, yeah. Nobody was making lagers in the craft beer scene. One, they were right. a little harder to make. They take a little longer. You know, you got to be you got to be able to control temperature better. And to your point, it was all IPAs. And if it was, it right. was the race to bitterness. Yeah, and you know, you know, when I started, it was very different. It was about exploring the new beers, seeing mm-hmm. what Belgians were, seeing what a pale ale, what an English porter was, what a Baltic porter was. You know, you learned your styles, you learned how to brew the styles, and it got very monocular in the last eight years. Mm-hmm. You know, only the same ingredients, the same kind of reiterations of a style with minor component changes. And at the same time, the consumer's looking for something different. Right. And I think they're getting... Which is why they were craft beer consumers in the first place. Exactly. Because right. they didn't want the same old American Pilsner. Well, yeah. I mean, right. well, if you're going to go through the five main commercial breweries and you go, oh, there's only a slight 
component changes in them, and you go to, to 20 breweries that have IPAs with the same kind of construct, right. you're going to be turned off. Right. You want to be wowed. You want to have this experience. I mean, as a brewer, that's what you would strive for, to make that person on the other side of the bar go, wow, I've never had something that tasted like that, and I really enjoy it, mm-hmm. and I want to do it again. Right. That's why I got to, right. into making beer. In, in my opinion, a lot of craft brewery has gone from not just making, like, Prior to the surge of craft industry where all these different flavor beers are coming out, individual beers were made to style. And and I think that's still held up. But what's happening with the craft industry is there's a lot of adjuncts added to beer. A lot of things are hidden. And what takes me back to the lager, there's nothing in the lager. There's nothing you can hide. Mm-hmm. If you're not making a good lager, it's going to show up at the end product. Yep. If you're making a great lager, it's going to show up at the end product. So with the craft industry right now, where they're adding all these adjuncts and different flavors and over yeasting the beers as far as the New England IPAs are my concern which I love but I think they're over yeasted to cloud out things a lager is the quintessential beer that you cannot hide any mistakes from Mm -hmm. so if you're making a great lager you're making a great beer and if you're making a great lager right? what I've seen in other breweries is every other beer is made great because if you can make a lager great you so Going back, I think we make a great lager, which reiterates and echoes into all of our other beers. I think we're making a great lager that shows that we make great beer everywhere else through. Okay. Yeah, okay. we can. I think about flying fish is that we can cover the gambit. Uh, you know, we, we can go from a, lo- a, a light, clean lager and then all the way to our double IPA or trail mix or even our uh, pork roll porter. It shows the diversity of what we put out and I think we do a pretty good job at each one of those Mm -hmm. to put in front of the consumer. Where, you know, uh, as a brewer, I never wanted to be a one-trick pony where I could only brew one style really well and hang my hat on it and say, well, that's all I do and you should like it because that's all I can do. Right. Uh, So it was always striving to brew new beers and brew new, uh, change your frontier. Mm-hmm. and move forward and I think that's the culture within Flying Fish that we, we're, we're promoting that you know uh, when they do uh, the pilot systems uh, the, I don't curate the brewers at, at all I want to have their creativity and do it because if I grab a recipe and start tweaking it it's what I would do I'm starting to put my spin on what's mm-hmm. going on right. these guys are experimenting and doing something that I necessarily wouldn't and you go wow okay this is really cool let's go with it okay sometimes you know? it's hard as as the manager sometimes it's hard to stay out of it well, a little you, bit you try to you try to put too much too much overlay of what, what's going to work what's going to translate into a uh, uh, into a um, an end product mm-hmm. you got to let it organically breathe and work if it's not going to work with, with with the brewers and the tasting room it's not going to work out in the outside world right, right. so I noticed you guys have 15 up here in the, in the tasting room yes um, so that's got to be a, a lot of work for you guys to make 15 different beers on a regular basis to to keep that board populated it is and it isn't okay it is they love doing uh, what they do <laughs> It is because we love to like create new, we have our core variety, which sustains like two thirds of that. And it isn't because our other few beers are either barrel aged or they're uh, new one-offs and they're constantly changing. So 
that makes it difficult, but it doesn't make it difficult because that's where we get our energy. We like bringing out the new beer. We like seeing what the new barrel flavor is going to be. So having this many beers, honestly, as brewers, I think we could probably pull in like three or five more and still be excited about that. Yeah, and it it really enters us back into what the craft movement is doing right now, where you see all these new breweries where they're putting out new products. So there's 80 breweries in New Jersey probably putting out four products each. So just do the math and you start thinking... 15 taps isn't all that much. So what are you doing with your barrels right now? What's the... We're souring some. We're barrel aging fresh barrels, so we'll get bourbon, wine, port, you know, tequila barrels, and we'll use them all for different kinds of uh, projects. So once the barrels, uh, you know, we'll turn them typically around three or four times. Uh, First two times are for flavor of that barrel. Then after that, they're kind of like just utilitarian, what we're going to use it for. Okay, because all the the flavors are gone, and then we sour it. So our sour program is kind of just getting off, I think, just getting off the ground because before we were we only had a few barrels in house. Mm-hmm. Now we have about, I think, 70 or 80 barrels floating around. And we're starting to be able to put out larger volumes and where it's a little bit more um, uh, crowd reactive. Consumable yeah. and, and packageable. Yeah, so mm-hmm. uh, we're putting out, you know, eight barrels at a time of some, some a sour blend, right. which is coming out pretty cool. Okay. We've been uh, doing a lot better with our barrels, um, aging them, whether they're straight bourbon or um, have been done multiple times and gone to sour. Um, we have a guy that's completely on blending and aging sour barrels and making sure they all taste perfect. And I really think that we're the best we've ever been with our uh, with our barrels, whether they be sour or bourbon. Um, I know that a lot of breweries, smaller breweries, started off doing that. We didn't start off barrel aging. Um, we're now getting a, a stranglehold on that. And I think we're gonna do very well in the future because all of the barrels that I've tasted, whether sour or young or mature are, are really good. Yeah, we partnered up with Dad's Hat out of uh, Bristol and uh, we did a Russian Imperial Stout mm-hmm. aged in rye barrels, which came out fabulous. And then we're gonna be coming out with uh, another barrel aged, uh, bourbon barrel aged in Dad's Hat in uh, March. Okay. So that'll be really cool. That's It's gonna be Wobbly Cow, which is a coffee, right. you know, coffee milk stout, which will be really cool. Bourbon? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's gonna be a lot of flavor in one beer. Yeah. That is a lot. That sounds, we, that we, sounds really good. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, and it's a, the way of the style We're of design. We're pushing the threshold, yeah. but mm-hmm. that's what we wanted to do. Now, with the sours, it's not the entry point for a lot of craft. How does your, what does your test department think when the sour comes out? <laughs> you mean our QC department? Your yeah. QC department. Well, yeah. that's a battle. I think <laughs> that's, we release a new barrel uh, yeah. every Wednesday, mm-hmm. and it's either a bourbon barrel or a fresh barrel, but usually it's a sour because we have a lot of barrels that we're doing blends of. They love it. Those, okay. They sell like yeah. crazy. Yeah. A lot okay. of people have you know, as long as our, our plates and our lab reports come back, proper mm-hmm. we can keep on doing what we're doing right. and Leanne also works in the tasting room on the weekends uh, beyond periodically beyond brewing and she sees what the customer asks and one for yeah, just, and it's one nice to, get, so. to see the feedback and see mm-hmm. what people, how people are reacting see what people order what's the you know, biggest selling beers do, do you find it for is it the first sour a lot of people have tried no. 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 Okay. Yeah, people come in just for sours. They know. They know what they're, what they're looking for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. 
All right. And there's a lot of sour drinkers out there. Yeah. I, you know, it and just, wine drinkers tend to be sour drinkers. So they're, they're coming from sometimes a, a whole different palate, a yes. whole different place. Yep. And, and, and the sour is what's bringing them in. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. Cool. Kind of like the IPAs, but in a different, you know, they're a different breed themselves. The IPA, you know, that want, they, that's all they're looking for. Right. They want a flight of all your IPAs. Right. So they're, they're not crossing over, but there's two different groups of people coming right. in. But they're their own culture. Yeah. They are. They really Sour are. is honestly, um, I think, the new growth mm-hmm. of the tasting room. Not, not the beer industry itself, but of the tasting room. I think sours are merging. I th- I, everyone appreciates them. I appreciate them. I, th- I really think that's your that's your experimental level mm-hmm. of where the beer can be and where it's going to go. Yeah. But see, when I think of sours, I think a lot about Asheville, mm-hmm. or you know where it's. But Asheville's young in itself. Yeah, I mean, think I worked down that. in Asheville down in like '97, mm-hmm. so it was like a very different market back then. Right. So there was Highland Brewing Company, and that's it. And, and maybe that was Green it. Man, uh, you know, yeah, it came up right. Came up afterwards. But like the whole, the whole w- wicked weed. Oh, that, it, you're, you're talking Influence. about a very different culture of beer right now in the South, and they're still mm-hmm. developing. Right. They're still finding their way. Yeah. And, well, you know, and, and I think Jersey is too in a lot of ways. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we went from no, you know, a few breweries to a lot of breweries in, in, in a short period of time. Right? So you have a lot of new personalities shaping mm-hmm. the inis- industry right now. Right. So, no. you know, Blendery up in, you know, uh, Hopewell, you know, meteries and uh, other breweries starting so it's it's uh you know it's 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 becoming very interesting yeah. where new jersey was very you know there's only a couple players in the game and you know like i said about competition it only raises the bar yeah no, absolutely okay so what do we have so where, where are we heading next i want to showcase just because you brought it up before which of these beers started on a non-fishing system and made it its way into the big leagues and okay. this trail mix over here is something that chris Warren made it was his recipe he did it on a gone fishing gone fishing is your pilot system yeah it's okay. a yeah. barrel pilot right. system okay. put it in the tasting room it sold called the hatchery yep the hatchery right okay. it sold amazingly well barry loved it and it took about a year, but Barry said we want to make this an exit beer, right. and it made it to the big bottles. Barry was a big proponent for making this beer actually get through upper management, because we were just brewers back there, and Barry's also a brewer, but Barry's our liaison as brewery manager. <laughs> he's the guy you send upstairs. He's the guy that we um, we send to the trenches. Yeah. So and I think the, he's also the messenger that gets killed a lot, right? but he also comes back to life every day. So. We we like to have the messenger killed, but we also like him to come back to life. (laughs) It's kind of like Groundhog Day. We did this in an August or September time frame, not this past year, but the year before, because it was supposed to be, you know, get out in the woods and hike and bring your trail mix with you. Okay. And uh, it sold really well. And, um, it did. It's I, delicious. I thank you for skipping our uh, our trail here. I would. We hopped the trail. So <laughs> within the beer, it, the concepts were, you know, trail mix, granola, chocolate, you know, oats, mm-hmm. honey, all these components that are really... It was really a brown ale that you could basically grab a handful of trail mix and drink. Okay. So I tried to translate the best I could yeah, into that. A, I so I, want, brown, I wanted right? the granola... I wanted the chocolate, I wanted the raisin, and I wanted the honey, um, and I... 
it, it was a good beer and it really translated you know when a, you, you have a good beer and it's going to translate to somebody else mm-hmm. you know it you know it's going to speak to a, a wide range of audience and when it came out into the tasting room I went that beer needs to come back it just it spoke volumes for itself okay. now why did you have to fight so hard for it that's just the, the, the to navigate this company there you have to really state your case and mm-hmm. speak why right. this beer will work is it weird there's level there's it's a multi-level lasagna we work in okay? <laughs> and to get to the top of the bubbling cheese you need to work your way through all the layers okay so because well, you know in doing this we podcast, finally got to the bubbling cheese okay. on a couple of beers in our life <laughs> in doing the podcast usually I'm, this is the first time i'm sitting with you know the brewers but it's also not the owner Yes. You know, usually right. it's either brewer right. owner or owner and then the brewer is sitting right next to him Correct. and they work hand in hand every day together. I work with Gene and I work with a board and I work Barry, with everybody. Yeah. Right. Barry okay. works hand in hand with um, owners, management, founders. Barry has a tough job. He's a tough job. All right. Well, I'm just, this is the first time I'm sitting yes. on this layer of the lasagna. Well, it's really right. good. So we right. got to work up. Right. <laughs> this is where the flavor's at. Right. <laughs> You're the best part of lasagna right now. As you can see, they're having a real good time brewing at Flying Fish. If you haven't already been, you can visit the Tap Room at 900 Kennedy Boulevard in Somerdale, New Jersey, or check flyingfish.com for more info. Chances are you're also going to be able to find them around New Jersey in your local store. On March 23rd and 24th, Over Beers is going to be podcasting at the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival. And I've got tickets so you can go for free. Two tickets to the Friday, March 23rd session. It's from 8 to 12 p.m. If you'd like them, all you have to do is send an email to cheers at santefoto.com. C-H-E-E-R-S at S-A-N-T-E-P-H-O-T-O dot com. Santefoto.com. Before 6 p.m. on Wednesday, March 14th, be sure to include your name, full mailing address, email address, and tell me why you need to go to BeerFest. I'm going to pick one at random, and that person will get mailed the pair. Real simple. Check out our blog at overbeers.beer. Please leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or where you get your podcasts. It really helps. You can also leave a comment at the blog or send me an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas for the show. That email address, once again, cheers at santefoto.com. And remember, get me an email before 6 p.m. on Wednesday, March 14th to get your two free tickets to the Friday night session of the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival. I'm Freddie Clark, and I'm going to go have a beer, but I'll be back next week with another conversation over beers.